Hello and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your host Mike Jones here with you today. The wait is over. We do have live sports back with us now. Started off with Major League Baseball and then just last night the NBA tipped off their restart to the season. And don't worry, the NHL is not far behind. Just a few more days and we will get some NHL hockey going. The all-important round robin for the Colorado Avalanche. We'll be diving into all that on today's episode of What Sports. The return is here. Let's start off with the league that started it all off. Major League Baseball. Opening week is really done now. It's been a week of baseball. Five games in the books for your Colorado Rockies. And right off the bat, you just look at those scores. And the first thing that pops out to me, at least, is through through five games, the Colorado Rockies have only given up nine runs. They are 4-1 and one on the young season. Great start for them. Now, all five of these games were on the road. That, that should not be ignored. But road, home, doesn't matter. You give up only five runs, or only nine runs in five games, and you're doing something right. The only loss of the season was a 0-1 loss on opening day for the Rockies. They couldn't put up a single run to support a really a great start by Herman Marquez. Uh, Marquez went uh, went five and two thirds innings, only giving up two hits. Unfortunately, resulting in a earned run. Um, as Odor did get a two out RBI there. But that's the only blemish on the record so far for the Rockies was a 0-1 loss. You follow that up with a 3-2 victory a five, and then a 5-2 victory for a 2-1 series win over the Texas Rangers. Rangers, not necessarily the best competition, but they're a roster that is somewhat reminiscent of the Padres uh, to me in just the fact that there's a lot of young promising talent on that team that you could end up seeing a breakout year coming for them in the next, you know, couple of seasons, potentially. It's Point being is it's not a roster that's void of any talent there. And then you follow it up with not just beating the athletics, the A's, a team that is a playoff caliber team, a team that has been league, but you beat them eight to three, a dominant victory in the first game of a two short two game series against the A's, but you follow that up the following day with a five to one victory over the A's. Then that five to one victory, Marquez again on the mound giving up. One, one run on four hits through six innings. 
That means in two games, he's given up two measly runs, granting him a 1-5 ERA in this, granted, young season for the Rockies, but that is still nothing to sneeze at. He is definitely picking up uh, where he was where he was before last season got derailed a little bit by injuries. And really, before that, he was pitching another stellar all-star type of performance last year. Marquez has 14 strikeouts to just four walks in these two starts. That's a strikeout per nine of 10.8 that is impressive and something that is going to be needed in this season especially early on as it seems like the bats were a little slow to get going at least in the Rangers series got that eight run spot against the athletics but the bats not really where we're wanting them to be at least not right now. Another name that is big for me uh, as far as impact on the Rockies and really the what the ceiling can be for them this season is Kyle Freeland. Definitely looking for a bounce back year from last year where his ERA rose to a 6.73 in his first game back which he did get credit for the win against the Rangers. He went six innings, giving up two runs on four hits. That is pretty efficient baseball. Um, only five strikeouts, but what Kyle Freeland does well when he is pitching well is not necessarily the strikeouts. He's a contact pitcher and a guy who produces a lot of ground balls uh that's one thing that kind of seemed like may have been part of what the problem was last year I'm not I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you I'm a pitching expert but it definitely seemed like he was putting more effort and had more of an emphasis coming into the season last year on trying to get his strikeout numbers up and the year before that the 2018 season when he was legitimately a Cy Young contender, uh, you're talking about a 2.85 ERA he had in 2018. He was pitching to contact. In that season, okay, in his 202 innings pitched, he... He gave up 182 hits and 64 runs. As compared to last year, in just 104 innings pitched, where he gave up 126 hits and 85 runs. I mean, just in almost 100 fewer innings to give up 20 more runs. That is quite a stark contrast there between the two seasons and if he is able maybe not necessarily he doesn't necessarily have to get back to being a Cy Young candidate but if he can get back to being you know a mid to low three ERA pitcher especially with his success at home 
being a Colorado native, that will do wonders for the Rockies and where they could end up at the end of the season. Now, like I said, got off to a good start here in his first game. Uh, a 3 ERA through one game. ERA, whatever. It can be hugely inflated or hugely deflated. I'm not going to put as much stock into that as you know Marquez through two. At least you're starting to see a bit of a pattern there with Marquez. Then you start talking about the third head in this three-headed monster uh, in John Gray. He got a start against the Texas Rangers, only went four and two-thirds innings, but that wasn't necessarily because he wasn't pitching well. He had only given up three hits and one earned run through that time. Uh, they just they pulled him a little early, a little being a little overly cautious, I guess, in uh, the second game of the season, just not wanting to fall down to an 0-2 start. And because in a 60-game season, you know, every game counts for almost three times as much as it normally would. Um, he came out, and he actually looked really well. He only pitched 79. Uh, he only threw 79 pitches in that game, 46 for strikes. But then he gave way to Bard, who was actually kind of the story of that game. Uh, Bard, who hadn't pitched in several years, came in through for one and a third inning and he's the one who actually gets credit for that win and in other pitching news Wade Davis came in this is a with a one run lead and he pitched a really or sorry he came in with a two run lead uh they ended with only a one run lead Came in, pitched relatively well, was able to get credit for that save. Uh, John Gray, though, looked pretty good in this start. I think he could have at least finished out that fifth inning. If not, you know, come out and pitched for another inning. Uh, so really, I'm pretty happy with what I'm seeing from the starting rotation so far. And that's part of why you can look at... Nine runs through five games. I, I, Sorry to keep bringing it up, but that is just really good numbers when you're talking about a Rockies team that, you know, is not known necessarily for their pitching. Uh, granted, some of that is aided by just phenomenal defense, in particular on that left side of the infield with Arenado and Story. And, you know, getting good relief pitching coming in as well, including Davis. I mean, he did give up a run in that game, but he's coming out and he's he's looking a lot better. He's looking a lot more like the Davis of a couple seasons ago. He's another guy a lot like Freeland. Had really good 2018 season. And then kind of fell off last year. Now, with Freeland, it was basically from the start of the season. Davis got off to a pretty good start to the season and then fell off in that second half. 
But nonetheless, he has gone off to a good start so far. Because in Game 3, he did come out and he did post another save. Um, saving the Freeland win in this one. Giving up not even a single hit in that inning. Clean inning for him. Two saves on the season. But talking about that bullpen, uh, the Rockies trimmed a little bit of the uh, excess financial weight. Cutting ties with Jake McGee and Brian Shaw, who have gone on and not necessarily looked all that good with their respective ball clubs that picked them up. But it cleared room for some younger guys to really step up. Uh, we have Almonte, who has pitched for the Rockies in the past. So far in the season, he's pitched three clean innings. Diaz, three clean innings. Bard, we talked about. Uh, he he has given up a single run in three and a third. Estevez, who's been a consistent guy who's gotten brought up later on in the season, through four and a third inning clean. Even some guy named Kenley has come in, pitched an inning clean. Two earned runs given up by this bullpen so far, which is really refreshing because that was probably the biggest question mark for me coming into this season was how was this bullpen going to stand up were they were they going to show market signs of improvement over last season and early returns tell me yes real quick defensively the highlight so far was this catch made by Garrett Hampson playing in the outfield, uh, getting a spot start out there, and just this wonderful leap into the fence, making a home run saving grab, really like over the fence. And it was just a thing of beauty, especially for a guy who was not really played the outfield, uh, coming up all the way through, you know, the minor leagues, through high school. His entire baseball playing career, he's been an infielder. He's been a middle infielder. And for him to make that kind of play, uh, being able to judge the ball that well, was just wonderful to see. And it'll be nice if we can see Hampson really carve him out a consistent role on this team. Because his bat may not be the most consistent, Nobody's bat has been really consistent for the Rockies. I mean, Story leads them in average through five games at 278 among qualifying batters. So you, that tells you you're not you're not getting the A stuff so far out of this lineup. Um, but if he was able to get on the base pads, he has some of that game-changing type of speed, like a Story, uh, like a you know. Like uh, Hamilton, if you want to take an example from another team, like a Tapia from the Rockies. Um, so if he can bring that kind of defense, in particularly in the outfield, 
to complement that speed on the base pads. Uh, that should, could be an interesting competition out there between him, Hilliard, and Tapia, who also brings that speed. Uh, a little more inconsistent defensively so far, though. Speaking of offense, Sam Hilliard, he's made his mark on this young season with a home run that he has hit, you know, trying to carve himself out a piece of the pie, if you will, playing out there. Really, that third outfield spot is kind of a steady rotation. You got Hilliard, you got Tapia, you got Hampson getting a spot start out there. So, with him being able to bring that kind of power to the plate is definitely something that's going to set him apart from those other guys he's competing with. Not to mention, he, he, brings, he doesn't bring a Hampson type of speed, but he brings good speed to the pads. But it is Trevor Story that leads the team right now with two home runs on the young season that he's coupling with a two stolen base early season showing here. Uh, RBIs, him, Dahl, and Walters are all tied on the team with three RBIs on the young season. All in all, loving what I've seen from them. Again, early on, but you can't ask for much more than what they have shown. And they're going to need to continue that because the Padres, who so far are announcing that, hey, they are a legitimate team as well in this conference, in this division, you know, speaking just of the Dodgers, who everybody picks to win this division year in and year out. It's looking like it could be a fun race going forward. With the Padres so far putting up a 5-2 and two record. Of course, the Rockies 4-1 on the season. And then you have the Los Angeles Dodgers also at 5-2. and two. Technically speaking, technically speaking, the Colorado Rockies do lead the division as far as win percentage goes. With an 800 win percentage as compared to 714 for both the Dodgers and the Padres. Granted, not as good of a run differential. Mostly due to the slow start offensively. Definitely not due to the pitching. But this is going to be the start of a three game series against the Padres. The home opener, really, for the Rockies tonight. And looking at those standings early on, huge series for our early season series going up against the Padres. Um, getting that second seed or or first, first is still very much in play, obviously, this early on in the season. But if you can just get one of those top two positions in your division, you're locked into a playoff spot this year. The Major League Baseball playing with pl playoff seating and having it be a 16-team playoff, that means each division, the top two the top two 
from each, uh, sorry, yeah, each division make it. And then the next two highest win percentage make it into this playoff. So if you're in the top two again, you are guaranteed a spot. And with the Padres looking like they could be a legitimate team, a lot of people suspected that they were just a year or two away last season. So it's not necessarily a surprise the good start they've gone off to. But it's going to be one hell of a race coming down the stretch here. And the Rockies are definitely going to be in that, especially if this pitching holds up throughout the season. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think the Rockies are going to take that second seat. The Dodgers are eventually, they're probably going to win this division as much as I would I hate saying that. It's just too loaded of a roster to say that over a 60-game stretch, they aren't going to come out with the better record and the more consistent play over that stretch. But if you just get a spot in that playoffs, anything can happen in a series. Anything. The Rockies in a series against the Dodgers can win that series against any team you can win a series you just gotta punch your ticket into it and the Rockies are off to a good start tonight John Gray will begin his second start of the season it's kind of looking like the Rockies might be going with a four-man rotation talked about that a little bit in one of the previous episodes, the potential of going with a shortened rotation on a shortened season. It's looking like Gray, Freeland, Marquez, and Incensatella so far holding on to that second spot. Who has a W in his one start this season? It will be Gray against Richards tonight. Uh, Richards... Has not given up a run in his one start this season. Uh, 6Ks, a 0 ERA. But you throw that up against John Gray and his 1.93 ERA. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's better. <laughs> but it's, it's a young season. And John Gray coming back home. In front of the raucous crowd of nobody. A bunch of cutouts, I presume. Judging by what I've seen from other teams around the league. Which is actually kind of amusing. Just to touch on that a little bit. Seeing these cutouts to fill the stands. Just to kind of give that feel. Or that appearance to the players. So it's not completely out of the ordinary, not a complete transition, a complete different look from what they are used to seeing looking out at the stands. But it does not compare necessarily to what I saw from the NBA just last night in the opening night uh, for the NBA's return to the season. Uh, they appeared to have um, screens up where 
fans, I'm assuming possibly season ticket holders from the quote-unquote home team, uh, got to FaceTime in, Zoom in, whatever the platform was that they were using. They were video conferenced in as the fans for this, and it even sounded like you might have been able to hear them a bit as well. Uh, some sort of crowd noise was a factor in the game. Well, I don't know how much of an actual factor it played, but it was present for the two games that tipped off the return last night. Um, now, obviously, we're having this these returns to the seasons because of this COVID, Corona, um, pandemic, if, uh, if you will. So there's obviously going to be precautions put into place for player safety and, um, really, I assume to just try to set a good, a good example for the rest of the public. But it makes me laugh watching the NBA and some of the steps they are taking. The NBA is a contact sport. Basketball is a contact sport. Especially you get down there to paint, you're going to be bumping, you're going to be grinding down there, and you're going to be exchanging sweat. Yet, you look at their benches, and all the seats are spaced six feet apart. So you go from, you know, banging bodies inside to going to your bench and having to sit six feet apart from all these other guys who you're who you're in a bubble with, you're quarantining with, you're practicing with, yet for public appearance, when you're on that bench, you have to sit six feet apart from them. That's just comical to me. I, I guess I can understand why they're doing it, but it makes no damn sense to me. And it looks ridiculous, uh, especially in a in in a stadium where there's some noise that they're producing some noise, but it's not the atmosphere and it's not the noise that you get from a normal game. So when they huddle, they need to get close together to huddle to prevent the other teams from hearing what they're saying. So you're not, you know, yelling out, basically, to reach the 12th, the, the guy in the third row who needs to hear what's what's happening coming out of this next time out. But anyways, that just, that just kind of tickled my funny bone. Um, tipping it off last night were a couple of games. The Utah Jazz took on the... New Orleans Pelicans, uh, unfortunately the outcome not necessarily the best of outcomes as far as the Nuggets go, hopefully it really doesn't matter in the end, but the Jazz ended up winning this game by two points in the first game of the return tip-off, and then in the second game, the Clippers and the Lakers, the two teams that people say are the cream of the crop when it comes to the Western Conference. And it came down to the last possession, and the Lakers were able to come back. It was really a back-and-forth game, but 
quote-unquote comeback and get this W against the Clippers, which almost all but clinched that number one seed for the Lakers in the Western Conference. After that win, they have a six and a half game lead up on the Clippers with seven games left in the season. So, not clinched, but basically clinched that one seed. That win was more beneficial, though, for the Denver Nuggets because realistically, they weren't going to catch the Lakers for that one seed. But they are definitely within spitting distance of the LA Clippers. Only one game back from them now for that two seed. So that game went very well for the Nuggets. And I think the Nuggets have a real good shot of taking that two seed. Especially, especially if, uh, if this team looks and utilizes their players nearly as well as uh, they did this this uh, preseason or exhibition season, if you will. Uh, talked about Bol Bol. He, in the second exhibition game, wasn't necessarily as good. But then you look at the third exhibition game was another great performance by him. Um, and just gets me super excited, especially for the future. And potentially with two solid outings in exhibition games, potentially being able to see what he can do in this return to the season. Uh, it did, it was, you know, put out there that Bobo would still be eligible to win Rookie of the Year next year, no matter what he does in this uh, return exhibition, play-in, play-off, whatever you want to call it, this bubble NBA, no matter what he does in that, he would be eligible for Rookie of the Year next year, and I wouldn't put past him to be able to win that Rookie of the Year Uh just such a unique talent and don't need to talk anymore about that because I already gushed about him in my last episode but this Nuggets team with all the chemistry that they came into the season with uh, really more chemistry than just about any other team that they are competing against Uh, you talk about especially the teams ahead of them way less turnover to compete with and then you have this huge pause in the middle of the season uh should not affect the nuggets nearly as much as it affects some other teams they will get their season started off tomorrow uh, against the miami heat uh really should be a win for the nuggets no disrespect to Miami, but the Nuggets are just a more talented team. Now let's talk about some expectations, some realistic, I'll say, expectations coming into the bubble NBA. The Nuggets 
can and should be able to get that two seed. Uh, it'll be a huge game later on when the Nuggets play the the Nuggets play the Clippers on August twelfth, uh, seventh game of the season. It's uh technically it's a home game. Oh boy. But that will game could potentially mean so much as far as seeding goes because they're right there. One game separates them. One game. A head-to-head is worth one game. So if the Clippers falter just a little and lose, you know, lose another game going forward, the Nuggets have a golden opportunity to take that number, that two seed and run with it. So realistic expectations. Nuggets take that two seed, make it to the conference finals. Beyond that, I don't know. Anything can happen in this bubble NBA. Before this pandemic, before the pause was put on this season, um, I'd say that Nuggets could beat either of those LA teams in a seven-game series. I would not necessarily have picked them to beat either of the LA teams in a seven-game series. But you're talking about bubble NBA. You're talking about resuming the season Basically, when the 2020-2021 season should be getting ready to tip off. Obviously, that has been pushed back. The Nuggets could beat either of these teams. And I'm going to sit here. I'm going to say I'll pick them to beat the Clippers. Now, I say the Clippers because they're not the Nuggets wouldn't face the Lakers until the conference finals, and I'm picking the Nuggets to make it to the conference finals. The Clippers are the team that will stand between, in all likelihood, the the biggest competition and the biggest obstacle in the way of the Nuggets getting to the conference finals. They, the Clippers, probably are not going to drop into that four seed. It's possible the Jazz are only two games back of the Clippers with winning last night and the Clippers losing. But realistically, probably not going to happen. I'm not sure if the Jazz are going to be able to keep this up for this entire eight-game stretch. Uh, I guess, you know, they did win last night, but... It's hard to say and hard to think that there's not some sort of chemistry issues after what perspire what uh what happened between Gobert and Mitchell and kind of the tension that was there. They were they're able to put it aside for the most part, but oh, you're in a bubble together. You're you're seeing each other even more than you would during the regular season grind here 
I don't know. I don't know. The Mavericks have not technically clinched a playoff spot in the Western Conference, but for all intents and purposes, they have. That's another team that I have my eye on as potentially being an upset maker. I've been a fan of the Mavericks and the pairing of Donkic with Porzingis since coming into this season. They're a team that will be fun to watch. Another team I'm very interested in, though, and not because I'm a fan of the team by any stretch, but it's the Houston Rockets. Their commitment to small ball and their pushing all the chips in on small ball pretty much right before we went on pause. How is that going to play out for them now that they had this huge stretch? Uh, Obviously not necessarily the practice, although they got more practice time and more opportunity to perfect as much as they can this strategy going into this than they would have during the course of a of the regular season so to this pause may have helped the rockets more than any other team uh i just can't buy into small ball uh you have the rockets if they were to match up against the nuggets and then you roll out mpj bobo and Jokic out there there's no way the rockets would be able to hang with them no way whatsoever um, I don't care about the beard. He, his game is annoying anyways. So the Nuggets, I'm going to pick them to make the Western Conference Finals. I'm going to pick that continuity and chemistry wins out in this unique season. They'll get their season started off tomorrow against the Heat. Then followed up Monday against the Thunder. Another team that's not fully, they're not small ball rocket style, but they're small ball in as far as rolling out three point guards, more or less, out on the court at the same time. Now, they have, they have Steven, they have Adams there to really. You can't play small ball with Adams. Adams is one of my favorite non-Nuggets players uh, just for the way he plays. Kind of that old school uh, tough guy in the middle. So the Nuggets will beat the Thunder, though. Uh, As good as Adams is, especially defensively, he's he's no match for Jokic. Then you have the Spurs, who could, you know, more or less be eliminated by this point. Uh, You have the Trailblazers, another team that is... Who knows how committed they're going to be and how invested they're going to be at that point. Um, Portland Nuggets, obviously, it's it's an interesting matchup. Uh, A replay of the playoffs last year, and although this isn't the playoffs it could be very much a playoff type atmosphere for the trailblazers who are on the outside looking in for uh, a chance to have a play-in game if nothing else
Then you have a crucial game against Utah, potentially, as far as maybe, depending on how the dice roll and how, you know, how the pieces fall, maybe clinching no worse than the third seed in the West and being able to put enough separation between yourself and the Jazz. And then you got the Lakers. Lakers, really good team. A team that potentially, you know, could be winning the championship. But will they have anything to play for at this point? And it's not, you know, the last game of this mini-season where, you know, you want to make sure you're not going into the playoffs rusty. It's enough, it's three games out, enough out that you could be trying to rest your guys. But late enough into that the Lakers will probably have that one seed clinched at this point. So, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just pencil that in as a W for the Nuggets. If nothing else, for a lack of interest by the Lakers. Then, the crucial game against the Clippers mentioned, talked about a little bit earlier... If the Nuggets win that game, the Nuggets get the two seed. Clippers are actually m- my favorite of the two LA teams. I, I prefer how that team is constructed, and I think they are a better team. I want to pick the Nuggets in this game. I'm going to probably pick the Clippers, though. Uh, we'll see how I feel when we get to that point. Uh, There's also the possibility that the Clippers have a top three seed sewn up at that point, or probably for sure at least a top four seed. And with the veteran and experience that the Clippers have on that team, how much emphasis they put on, you know, getting that higher seed especially in a format where you don't really have a true home court advantage. Who knows, maybe the Clippers won't really be putting their best foot forward at that point either. And then you wrap it all up against another Eastern Conference foe with the Toronto Raptors in the last game of this eight-game stretch. Raptors, a team that in a lot of people's books have been overachieving this season. The Nuggets win that one to close it out. So I, I'm I'm gonna sit here, I'm gonna say the Nuggets go seven and one, six and two at worst through this eight game stretch. And that's that's enough for at least the three seed. I'm I'm gonna say quite possibly the two seed. Moving on to the Colorado Avalanche, who the start to the restart of the NHL season hasn't quite happened yet. But for the Avs, it starts on Sunday. Uh, Puck drop will be against the Blues Sunday afternoon. And as talked about in a previous episode, the way that the NHL is doing it, these games are so 
crucial to what is going to happen for the Avs and seeding, which is a little less important because in the NHL they're reseeding after each round. But important nonetheless. It's a it's a round robin for the top four teams. So the Avalanche will be playing the Blues, the Stars, and the Kings. Those are the only three scheduled games so far because after that we're going to be going into playoff series. If the Avs can win out, obviously that's going to give them the number one seed, which is actually relatively important. Just because at reseeding, that means throughout the playoffs, as the number one seed, you would get, record-wise at least, the worst team remaining every time. And that is that is an advantage. Now, the difference between, you know, the second and third seed might not be as crucial. But the difference between getting that one seed and the two seed, that could be all the difference in the world. And the Avalanche, unlike the Nuggets, the Avalanche are favorites in the NHL world is to, to win it. Like they may not be the favorite, but they are considered legitimate contenders. And the avalanche, I would bet money on them being able to win this Stanley cup, uh, before this pause even take took place. And the avalanche were within spitting distance of getting that number one overall seed in the in the West, from the Blues. Blues were the only team having a better season than the Avs, record-wise. And it's the first team you get to square up against for this return to the ice. I'm loving it. Now, the Avalanche, probably unlike any other team that's going to be left in, in the NHL for this return don't necessarily have a number one goalie. We don't have the guy. We have Francis and we have uh, Grubauer. Both have been having pretty damn good seasons. Not, not phenomenal seasons, but when you're backed up by the type of offensive firepower that the Avs have, you don't have to be coming with, you know, a 2-1 goal allowed average, you, you can afford to have a 2-4, as Francis does. When you're backed up by McKinnon, when you're backed up by Landeskog, when you're backed up by Rantanen, yes, all these guys are going to be playing, which is another huge thing for the Avalanche and why I think the Avs have a gr not just a good shot, but a great shot of not just winning the West, but winning the Stanley Cup, is they are healthy now. This is a team that battled so many injuries throughout the season. And now, they'll actually be able to roll out and put on the ice the best version of themselves. Their optimal lineup. Other teams can probably say this too, but there's probably not another team in the NHL that 
will be getting more back. That that coming here healthy will have a bigger impact on them than the Colorado Avalanche. You get to start this off against the Blues. Now, three games, these are all really good teams. But the Blues are the biggest measuring stick. Just because of what... How they were at the end of... Or at the pause. Only team better than them record-wise in the West. So huge measuring stick there. And then, on the 5th of August... You get to play the Dallas Stars. Now, 100% I Avalanche better than the Stars in my book. In most people's opinions, I would venture the Avs a better team than the Dallas Stars. Yet, on the season, the, the Stars swept the Avalanche. I, I was at one of those games, and I was really, um, I guess you could say, over-enthusiastic and overconfident in the Avs because they're just a better team than the Dallas Stars. They, they are. I know that probably sounds ludicrous when you look at it and see, you know, oh, hmm, they, uh, they got swept by the Stars. Nonetheless... They're a better team. They're, they're a better team. And although the Blues may be the biggest measuring stick and the huge game for the Avalanche, obviously, the Stars probably might mean close to the most as far as being as proving something. Proving that, you know, you can beat them. Because when you get swept in a season by a team, that's got to mess with your confidence, even just, just a little bit. Getting swept by a team that you you know you're better than, or at least you should know you're better than, has got to mess with you a little bit. So winning that game would be huge for them, obviously. So I'm... I really hope, uh, obviously, that the Habs win that one, just so I don't have to look and see, oh, and see a big uh, goose egg in the win column against the team going into the playoffs, where you may end up squaring up, for, squaring off for a seven-game series in, you know, the the semi-finals or the conference finals. And then the last game will be on August 8th against the Golden Knights of Vegas. Uh, I mean, Vegas is a very, very good team. Uh, for me, personally, if I had to put on a hierarchy the games as far as importance to me and importance to the team, I'd probably put Vegas as third. But these are all winnable, very winnable games for your Colorado Avalanche. Talking about realistic expectations for them. Realistic expectations is hosting 
putting up in the sky that Stanley Cup trophy. Putting that up and telling the world that the Colorado Avalanche were the best team in the NHL. And whether or not you want to put an asterisk on this season doesn't matter in the end. Because if you are Stanley Cup champion, guess what? You're a Stanley Cup champion. And the Avs, pause or no pause, had a great shot at winning the Stanley Cup. I'm kind of hoping, I, I just hoping may not be the right word, but I'm, I'm kind of want to see uh, the Boston Bruins make it, because I think that could be the start of something great as far as a rivalry goes, because you look at these two teams constructed differently, yes, but they're both very young teams that are very damn good. And if you can meet up in the finals this year, it could just set up for a rivalry unlike any other. Because you could end up meeting up four or five times in the Stanley Cup Finals. Maybe not in a row, but both these teams are that good and that young that they can keep this going. Oh, I am just, I am pumped and excited for the return to sports, for for real live sports to be back. It's been great being able to watch some Rockies games, even greater since they've been winning. It's going to be great to watch some, some Nuggets games that matter. Was able to watch that first start uh, for Bowl Bowl. And it was just great to be able to watch some live basketball. If I'm being honest, I'm most excited for the Avalanche season to return. Because, like I said, I think they have the most realistic shot at winning a championship. Bottom line, sports are back. And I am excited. You are excited. Everyone is excited. We need this escape as a society. We need this escape, in my opinion. And it is here. The return is here. Well, whew. man. Well, that's that's all I got for you today. And you have a great weekend watching some sports, people. I am Mike Jones. You can follow me Instagram, Twitter, at AKCoachJones. You've been listening to What Sports. I will talk to you all next week.